When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was the captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of, of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household and affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With, jo with Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing, except what kind of food to eat. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man, and Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded, but Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in this entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held me back nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around when he went into, he went in to do his work. She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, Come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand, and he ran from the house. When she saw that she was holding his cloak and he had fled, she called out to Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave to here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away, but he left his clothes behind with me. She kept the cloak with her until her husband came home. Then she told him her story. That Hebrew slave you've brought into our house tried to come in and fool around with me, she said. But when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. I love the story of Joseph. Joseph, the story of Joseph is one of those amazing tales from the Old Testament. And, you know, I, I know that people get up, get caught up in series on Netflix. And I know nobody here watches soap operas, of course. But on, on the other hand, some of the detective series and, and other things that are supposed to be serious and entertaining and, and they, they've turned into soaps. Um, I thought I might even get an amen over that. But anyway, <clears throat> there, is, there are no more amazing stories than the stories of the Old Testament. I love the story of Esther. 
I love the story of Job. I know that makes that qualifies me as weird, but that's okay. Um, but I love the story of Joseph. What an amazing tale. And, but you know, you've read, you've heard the story, all these stories from the Old Testament in Sunday school and in church for years. But what we're after is more than biblical trivial pursuit. I want you to know more than just the names of the people. I, I want you to think about the principles that are taught in their lives and how they apply to us now. As we're going through this series on the life of Joseph, it gives me the opportunity to talk about disappointment and grief. It gives me the opportunity to talk about what real success looks like. It gives me the opportunity to talk about competition in marriage, divorce, remarriage. It gives me the opportunity to talk about child raising and the danger of having favorites and competition between siblings. You say, I never saw all of that. It's all in the life of Joseph. The Bible is a practical book. And my task before you is to show you those things. Now, it is not my task to get you to apply those things to yourself personally. That's the job of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, I, Todd, when I got on the pulpit years ago, I would always pray because that's the way things were done in those days. You read the Scripture and then you pray. And Charles, I would always pray, Lord, you finish the sermon that I'm only able to start. Now, somebody said, well, why don't you take more time? Go ahead and finish the sermon. That's not the point. The point is I can only go so far with you. I depend, Joe, on the Holy Spirit of God to take the Word that is preached, to take my interpretation and explanation, and do a work in your heart. I don't know if you saw that, but I started this with Todd pronouncing a blessing on him before he would get in the pulpit, and he's continued that with me. That's what was going on over here. He was praying for me, pronouncing a, a blessing. And for both of us, our prayer is that the Spirit of God may move in these services and make a difference in your life. Don, faith in Ilar is a life-changing church. And the Word of God, Jonathan, is life-changing. And that is our goal, that something life-changing would happen in today's service. Now, I can't do this without running briefly back through the story, and it may be a run uh, in order to get the story halfway told, and that's the best I can do. Hopefully, week after week, week you're staying with me, and, and you get the flow of the story. But Joseph was the favored son, and we know about the coat of many colors. That's just a sign of the favoritism that Jacob showed for Joseph over all his other sons. And I'll speak about that somewhere along the way. Not today. But because of the jealousy, Maddie, the, the brothers sold Joseph into slavery. They took the coat of many colors, Larry, and dipped it in blood to show to Jacob. And Jacob was convinced that Joseph was dead. 
Donna, one of the funniest things to me in the story is they told that lie so many times, they began to believe it as well. One of the weirdest parts of the story. Am I really going to give this away ahead of time? Okay, spoiler alert. <clears throat> there came a time when the brother stood before Joseph, not knowing who he was, and told Joseph, our brother is dead. They told the guy they're standing in front of, you're dead. We don't know it's you. That's just, that's a strange twist in the story, but it's there. Somewhere along the way, Joseph is put, uh, he's sold into slavery, and he is the servant of one of the high military officers in the land of Egypt, and things are going great until Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him. He rejects her. Now, I said last week, and I thought somebody would laugh when I say, well, how do we know? It, the Bible says he's handsome. It does not say that Potiphar's wife is beautiful. And I suggest that she may have looked like Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> Some of you didn't get that till after you left last week. But he refused, so she lied, and he was put in prison on false accusation that he had tried to seduce her. While he was in prison, the, I always want to say the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker, but it's not that. Two of the servants of Pharaoh came into the prison, had a dream. Joseph interpreted the dreams properly, and he told one of them, when you get back to your job with Pharaoh, please remember me. And the guy had amnesia for two years until Pharaoh had a dream. And he said, oh, I remember. There's this guy in prison, and he interpreted my dreams. And so they called for Joseph. He came and interpreted Pharaoh's dream, and as a result, he became prime minister of Egypt. What a journey. I mean, that's the story in a nutshell, but there is so much there. Last week, we talked about Finding God's purpose in our lives. And some of you responded to that, and I praise God for that. It's, it's to His glory, not to mine or to faith in Alar. That's to His glory. But I hope you will remember the commitment that you've made to find and fulfill God's purpose in your life, God's dream for you rather than your dream for yourself. But today I want to talk about experiencing God's presence. We had our graduates read the whole chapter, chapter 39, uh, for you. And you may wonder, why does Brother Lynn have so many verses read? Well, because there are some people sitting here who will not read another verse of Scripture the rest of the week. I would encourage you to do so. But if you don't, you've at least heard the Word of God today. I don't want you to just hear my words. I want you to hear the Word of God. And so I often have long passages, more than you would expect, read for my message. I probably will not read all of them again. Don't worry. But the verses that you heard continually say, God was with Joseph. God was with Joseph. 
And that's important, Sam, because it sure looks like by all appearances that God has abandoned him. But that is not the case. Listen, we need to experience God's presence, not only fulfill his purpose in our lives, we need day by day by day to experience his presence in us and with us. It says when Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was a captain of the guard of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. That last sentence, the Lord was with Joseph. Now, we have this idea, Casey, that if the Lord is with you, then everything is good, everything is success, there's health, there's wealth, there's welfare. We have this idea that if somebody is doing well, if they're rich, if they're important, then God is with them. The other side of that, Catherine, is we get the mistaken idea that if things are not going well, God has abandoned us. And the story of Joseph is there, Alice, just so that we will recognize he's with us even in our failure and our abandonment. His dreams were shattered, but God was still with him. His dreams were shattered but God was still with him. The dreams, Tyler, was that he would rule over his brothers and over even his parents. Now, I said last week that his dream was too small because the fulfillment of that dream was greater, Cynthia, than anything that he could have imagined. And by the way, that's true for you. I said that last week that God's fulfillment of His purpose for you will be greater than you could ever imagine if you will pursue His purpose and His plan in your life. His dreams were shattered, but God was still with him. Listen, when you do not achieve what you hope to achieve, when life throws you a detour, realize it may not be a detour. It may be the path that God has planned for you to take you where He wants you to go. We need to be careful about the success equals spiritual spirituality syndrome. Like I said, and, and there, by the way, there are preachers on the radio and the TV all the time, Nancy, that will tell you this prosperity gospel that if God blesses you, then you'll be wealthy, you'll be healthy, and the opposite of that, Bregan, is if you're not wealthy and healthy, then they would say, you just don't have enough faith, or you're being punished for sin. That's not what the Bible teaches. And, and we need to beware of that prosperity gospel. We need to recognize, we need to be careful about judging people on the basis of where they are now. Because you don't know where they're going. Now, I saw that picture of Carter a while ago. And Charlotte, I knew I would recognize Carter. By the way, Carter, I can't, get, I can't leave without saying this. Carter discovered yesterday, much to his surprise, that he had been on the basketball team the whole time. 
Never made the court, never took a shot, but it was announced publicly over a thousand people that Carter was on the basketball team. Congratulations, Carter. <laughs> but I would have, Carter, I could have picked that baby picture out because I remember. Uh, I remember when the twins were born and Brenda was babysitting them. They were babes in arms, and I took Carter out on the playground uh, to play on the swing sets. I've known Carter a long time. But I've got to admit, Larry, if I'd seen that baby picture of him drooling on the bar in front of him, I would not have predicted this kid is going to be the valedictorian <laughs> of his senior class. <laughs> I would not. But what that means is, be careful about judging people where they are now because you don't know but that God sees a diamond in the rough. And you don't know what their end will be. By the way, if you feel like you're struggling and you're not going to make it, listen to me, God is with you. And He can use you in a greater way to His glory than you can ever imagine. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. William Carey. Be careful about judging people on the basis of where they are now. I've seen drug addicts, alcoholics, whose lives were turned around, they were healed, and became great servants of God. God is a life-changing God. And this is a life-changing church. Don't be careful. Be careful about judging people where they are now. You don't know who they may become in the grace of God. Second lesson, God was with Joseph even though he had lost everything, even in the darkest night of his life. Everybody abandoned him. But God did not, and God will not abandon you. Even in rebellion, any of you rebel as teenagers? Don't, show you, don't raise your hands, it's okay. <laughs> I know everybody here has rebelled at some point in their life. Can I get an amen? Can I get a witness? Yeah. Yeah. We, we've done that, but you know what? God didn't walk away from us. God is a God of second chances. God is a God of grace. He wants to grace you. If you will understand, He's still there. I'll never forget Jerry Chandler talking about when he was a young man and one of his first jobs was working with construction on Highway 67. 167 when all those bridges were built Jerry was working with his dad and his dad gave him a bucket of rivets or spikes or something and said okay here's the concrete beam I need you to take this bucket and walk across. Jerry started well and he said the further he got from real earth the harder it got and he began to tremble Somewhere along the way, Todd, 
Jerry froze. He just stood there quivering. And a voice behind him said, go on, son. I'm right here. His father had followed him out on the beam and was walking across with him. That's what God does. You can let these kids go, parents, knowing that God is walking the beam with them. He will never forsake them. He will never forsake you. No matter how hard it gets, God is with you. The third thing is God's presence is more important than perceived success. I worked in the slums of Africa. I worked with the poorest people, more poor than any of you can picture or imagine. It, you would have to walk there, you would have to see it, you would have to smell it. To understand where Brenda and I worked during our time as missionaries in Africa. But you know, Myra, I went into houses that they were, they were mud houses with a tin roof. No toilet, no electricity, no running water. But I visited Christian families in those places. The house was clean. The people were happy. They didn't have much to eat, but they were grateful for what they had. And I thought, my goodness, I'd rather see somebody like this than the richest man in New York who does not know Jesus. The presence of God is more important than supposed success. Walk with God and know that He is walking with you. So how do you experience God's presence? This is important. Everybody look up here. Look at the screen. Look at me. Look at the verse that's on the screen behind me. In all thy ways acknowledge Him. And he shall direct thy paths. Yeah, I know. I don't use King James very often. But that's the way I memorized it a hundred years ago. And so that's the verse I'm using. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, acknowledge that God is with you. And here's the secret. When you do that, Mark, you empower him in your life. Whom you acknowledge, you empower and so acknowledge His presence in your life, and He will work powerfully in you. And God was with Joseph. He was with him in his secular occupation. That's a long passage of Scripture. Go ahead and write down secular occupation in your worship, God, if you're doing that. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of of his Egyptian master. Rodney, that was a secular job. See, we have the idea that for you to be successful, you have to be in ministry. But he was successful in his secular job. He became the personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household. And from the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. Now, I said his was a secular occupation. We sometimes get the idea that the only way God can use you 
is if you were in full-time church ministry, that was a problem in our, in our mission work in Africa because we were telling people, God wants to use you. He wants to work in your life. You need to live a life that glorifies Him. And Bregan, everybody, all the men wanted to surrender to preach. Well, that's not how it works. If everybody's a pastor, there's no salary because there's nobody out there earning the money to give tithes. The church can't have a building if everybody's a pastor. I've seen the same malady in other third world countries. You have an idea that there is this spiritual occupation and everybody has that. And there's no secular occupation that glorifies God. That's not true. Now, by the way, Charles, the opposite of that problem is what we're facing now in the United States. Everybody wants to have a secular occupation, and nobody wants to be in the ministry. By the way, let me say this clearly, and you hear me clearly. God's not looking for volunteers for a full-time vocational ministry. He calls those that He wants. But young man, if God's calling you to be a preacher, to be a pastor, you answer that call. He has chosen you for that, and you answer. Young lady, if God has chosen you for full-time ministry to the Lord, if He's chosen you and He's calling you to be a missionary, especially on some foreign field, that's my heart because that's what I did. That's what Brenda and I did. By the way, Brenda will tell you that God called her to be a missionary to Africa when she was 11 years old. And I've told her, why didn't you tell me that before I married you? <laughs> Took me a little while to get the message. But if God's calling you, you answer. For the rest of you, be an engineer. Be an accountant. Be a plumber. An electrician, be a, a dentist, be a medical doctor, and do it for the glory of God. Don't think that because you're not a pastor or a missionary, God's not with you. He's with nurses too, Lauren. God will be with you in your secular occupation if you do it to the glory of God. I mean, a plumber can fix leaks. To the glory of God. Donna Dennis can fill teeth to the glory of God. An, an electrician can wire a house to the glory of God. Or even paint a house, Delane, to the glory of God. Whatever secular occupation God calls you to, recognize He is with you and He wants to use you to glorify Himself. That thing about volunteers, by the way, I got a quote here from Bob Russell, When God Builds a Church. Deacons, that's what you're reading now, is that book. And he says, before we hire staff, you see, some people have an idea, we have a need, let's hire a staff position. No, that's not biblical. Ephesians chapter 4, it's our responsibility as staff, Todd, to equip the membership for ministry, to train them and turn them loose. Bob Russell says, before we hire staff, 
we make sure that the volunteer avenue has been exhausted. Listen, this church runs on the back of disciples. You know what a disciple is? That's a biblical term for volunteers. People who have joined the church and have joined for the sake of ministry and are filling positions in the ministry of the church. I want you to know, your work matters. The Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. You are the strength of the church. You are the backbone of this church. Not just your offerings, but the fact that, I mean, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but there are a good number of people present today who are not always here, but you came because someone invited you. And there are others of you who need to invite your neighbors and your co-workers and fill this building. Are we ever going back to two services? Yeah, whenever seats filled. When we have to. I'm praying that the time will come later that we'll have to go back to two services because there's no more room. And if you will bring people with you, that will happen. You are the strength of the church. We need to raise up a church of dedicated members who will glorify God in their secular work. I've got to rush a bit. He was with Joseph even in his unjust imprisonment. Took Joseph, threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held. There he remained. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison. I've already talked about that Joseph was unjustly accused and imprisoned. I made that a part of my introduction instead of putting it in at this point in the sermon. I've already talked about that. He was not guilty. He was lied on, is the way we'd say it in Alabama. He was lied on. And he was in prison unjustly. But God was still with him. You say, well, that's not fair. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Get over it. Life is not fair. Do I need to say it another time? Get over yourself. You expect life to be fair. You are going to be sorely disappointed. Life is not fair. Not only that. People are not fair. There are people, I'm reading a book right now, and it'll be the next book the staff goes through on when to walk away. It's a book about toxic people. And unfortunately, there are mean people in the world. And I've met a few of them. I'm glad we don't have a church full of toxic people. Because there is such a thing as a toxic church. And I'm glad Faith NLR is not a toxic church. I love the way we love one another. Amen? I love the way we love one another. But when you leave here, you need to understand there's some evil people out there. Life's not fair, and people are not fair. And you're going to have to learn to set boundaries in your life and be willing at times to walk away. God was with Joseph even in his darkest hour. I thought about the widows in our church. 
And I was reading that book, and I don't know why this story is in a book about toxic people, but Bob, Robert Morgan's mother, became a widow after decades of marriage. And in the beginning, she struggled with the loneliness. She was almost inconsolable. But as she learned more and more to trust in God, she told her son, Robert Morgan, I've adjusted nicely to single life, for I've never been so sure I'm not alone. The Lord and I talk together all day. When I wake up in the morning, He's waiting to greet me. And when I go to bed at night, He stays up and stands guard. I don't know what your worst nightmare might be. For my Nancy, it's losing her. Absolutely. Losing her. But there's the testimony of one who in her darkest hour recognizes that God is with her. Listen, God is with you. God is here. He's speaking to you now. No matter how dark the night or how desperate your situation, you are not alone. God is with you. Then I've got to hurry. He was with Joseph in his political appointment. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this? So obviously, get this, filled with the Spirit of God. What a testimony. Even pagan unbelievers saw that he was filled with the Spirit of God. And he was made a politician. He was made prime minister of Egypt. And God used him in that position. He saved two nations. I mentioned this last week. He saved two nations from famine. The nation of Egypt and the nation of Israel. And Corey, in so doing, he preserved the lineage of Jesus Christ. And that, and that, I don't know that I ever thought about that till I started writing this. He preserved the lineage of the Savior, the Son of God. From destruction in famine. Listen to me. We need Christian politicians. I know you're as sick as I am of the competing ads on TV. It's sort of funny that one guy who's the new guy running for Senate, just as soon as he has an ad, Joe, I don't know how much that... Bozeman paid to get his ad right behind Baquette's ad. But you see a Baquette ad, and immediately there's one from Bozeman, right? You, you getting tired of that yet? Well, just wait. The fall election's coming. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. But the truth is, see, we have an idea that that is evil, that that is something no Christian could be involved in, and if they were a Christian, they would not be involved in it. Just the opposite. We need people who will run for clerk of Sherwood. We need Christians with whom God, or whom God can bless with His presence 
and who will have a testimony of ethics, of fairness, of Bible knowledge and Bible wisdom, leading our cities, leading our state, leading our nation. We need Christian politicians so that God might bless our nation, so that God might grow His kingdom on earth, and so that God might protect His church and His people. Now, here's the disclaimer. The enemies of God will shout about the separation of church and state because they want to convince you that you have to leave your faith at home when you go to the ballot box. You better take your faith with you. Our nation needs that. We need biblical votes. Now listen to me. I'm not going to stand here. I said, Here's, this is my disclaimer. I'm not going to stand here to try to tell you how to vote. But God will. You do what He says. You do what He says in His Word, the Bible. If you'll do that, I don't have to worry about which party and who you're going to vote for. God will be with you in your life. God will be with you in the ballot box. God will walk with you, and He will use you if you'll let Him. Do you know Him? Do you walk with Him? Is He with you every day? Do you recognize, I'm looking at Michelle, and I thought this might not be a good time to call somebody's name, but Michelle understands. She was looking at me, and I just... Do you recognize every morning when you wake up, He's there waiting on you? I do. That's why I grab my Bible. Well, okay, I get my coffee first, and then I go sit down with my Bible. Every morning, He's waiting on you to wake up and start your day with Him. Every night when you close your eyes, He's there standing guard over you. Even last night, with all the wind and the lightning, boy, it was close to our house. Whoo, all around us. No, I'm not going outside. But God was there. And he, Johnny kept watch over us all night long. Do you know Him? Is your faith in Him? Are you serving Him? And then I have to ask the harder questions. Have you made a personal commitment? Do you have a personal relationship with Him? Have you obeyed Him by following Him in baptism? Are you serving with Him in a congregation with other believers? What is it? I asked this last week. And we had a glorious surprise when Diane came, joined the church. But there's others of you who need to make that decision. What is it that God wants you to do in response to this service today? What is it? You may be a guest here. And you think, man, I can't go up front. I wish you would. But if you want, then meet me or meet Pastor Todd. Raise your hand, Pastor Todd. Meet us in the lobby. And we'll go off into another room and 
sit and talk with you, counsel with you. But make that decision today before you leave the building that God wants you to make. I want to ask you to stand by your heads, close your eyes. Father, I pray that you would bless your word by a movement of your spirit. I pray for those who need to make decisions, who need to make commitments, that they will do that now. Move on their hearts so that they cannot resist any longer, but they feel compelled by you, not by me, by me, compelled by you, Father, to make the decision that you want them to make.